Hello, you're listening to Trends Distilled, a podcast series from independent family-owned premium spirits company, William Grant & Sons. From the nationwide closure of bars and restaurants to changes in the way we work, shop and socialise, the drinks industry, like many others, has faced a challenging time. So to navigate this new environment, the distiller behind brands such as Hendrix Gin, Glenfiddich and the Balveni explores insightful predictions using the findings of its annual trends report. I'm Tanya Breyer and in each episode I'll be joined by a series of guests to delve into this new research. We'll also be letting you in on a few trade secrets, washed down with perfect cocktail recipes from some incredibly talented bartenders. Hello and welcome back to Trends Distilled. This week we're going to be discussing all things luxury, why we like it, what it means to us and how it's becoming more accessible. I'm very pleased to welcome the Dwayne of Luxury, Helen Brocklebank, Chief Executive of Walpole, which represents 270 of the UK's finest brands and is the official home of British luxury. I'm also joined by our resident consumer trends expert, Tamara Lawson, the Head of Strategic Planning and Insights at William Grant & Sons. Also joining us is Mark Thompson, the Ambassador to Scotland for Glenfiddich Single Malt Whiskey. And our bartender this week is Matthew Golloway from the Fife Arms, one of the UK's leading luxury hotels. So, Helen, if I can ask you first, how important is the luxury sector for the UK's economy? I mean, British luxury is the crown jewels of the UK economy. And it's in strict value terms, it's worth £48 billion. Uh, it uh, is accounts for... Uh, 8% of overall exports, so it, it really sells itself around the world. It employs 160,000 people, so so there's some really good um, figures behind it. But actually, it's like all luxury, it's not, about, it's not about the money, it's about the value. And these brands are a global calling card for Britain all around the world. If you think of Burberry and Rolls-Royce and Harrods, they make us really famous. And that's why I think it's not just great value, It's super, super important. Well, the fashion industry is facing many challenges. Paul Smith said recently he'd never imagined having to withstand national lockdown and now is navigating the plans to abolish VAT-free shopping for non-EU visitors. Tell me how it's going to look like going forward. What he says is right. This lockdown, the pandemic rather, has hit luxury hard. Its uh, twin engines are retail and hospitality, and all of all of those have been kind of locked down, whether you're high street or high end. But added to that, there have been some um, legislative changes which are looking like they might inhibit our ability to really uh, come shooting out of the starting gates of the recovery. Because what these brands want to do is to use their fame to help the whole country recover really, really fast. And that res, we, when we, it's also called tax-free shopping, uh, is seen by the Chancellor as a perk for rich people. You get your tax back when you shop in this country. But actually what it is, is the retail export scheme, because if you buy something and then you go back home, you're three times more likely to buy that product when you get home in market, so it helps export. But also... That tax perk helps support sales, which supports uh, jobs 
of those 160,000 people. So that's why it's important. It hasn't been abolished in Paris or Milan. Not having that makes us uncompetitive. The point is that these brands are resilient and they just really want to maximise the recovery and move on from the rather challenging times that we've been having. Absolutely. Well, we also know, Helen, that luxury consumers are really changing their attitudes. How important are these new luxury buyers to luxury brands? Uh, That's such an interesting question because I do think the new buyers are in many ways very, very similar to the classic luxury buyer, but we call them Henry, so high earners, not yet rich. So they're kind of aspirational luxury. They're on a long journey. You often often start, I don't know about you, you maybe fell in love with something beautiful when you were a child and then you maybe it was a Chanel handbag and you and you now own it you know that it can be a long time before you before you own the product but you love it for a long time beforehand one of the things that's very significant about how that younger consumer is changing is about sustainability and purpose it's not enough to be beautifully crafted or just to be beautiful or just to you know be a kind of gorgeous luxury thing you absolutely have to be luxury with heart if you haven't got a clean conscience you're not luxury. So sustainability is as important to luxury as craftsmanship has always been. And that is the big step change. So interesting, Mark, isn't it? How are things affecting Glenfiddich? Well, as you know, whiskey has always faced its challenges, shall we say, when it comes to shifting age-old perceptions and stereotypes. But with this, uh, as Helen said there, the new consumers that are out there, the younger uh, millennials that are coming through, are helping to transform that scene for us. Uh, People are researching much more about the things that they're consuming, whether that be physical consumption uh, or uh, a luxury pastime. And they want to delve in behind there. And as a brand, we've been challenging the perceptions of whisky in general uh, through progressing the perception of whisky to new audiences. You have to allow people the access to whisky at various passion points. That's the real key. And as a brand... The transparency in what we do, how we do it, and how we move forward and play as part of this world seems to resonate quite well with a lot of these new consumers. And Glenfiddich, you would think, has to always have sort of a bit of tartan and a bit of the home Scottish Blue Hills in the background. But we're actually finding that whilst consumers, they want to access that, they want to know that's there, but they also want to see how we are actually travelling forward on our path and what we are focused on, rather than holding on to that heritage 100% and hoping, as Helen said, you're hoping that it's not going to work, um, hoping that uh, you know, you'll know you get by. And, and the, the world of whisky has changed so much outside of the UK as well now, with so many new distillers coming on board. And of course, they're coming to the category with such fresh eyes from completely different backgrounds, and uh, it's wonderful looking and seeing how these whiskies are developing along with their consumers. And it sort of fits into this lovely global puzzle we're all trying to either complete or unravel. That's so interesting, isn't it? Because it's kind of British luxury contradiction. It feels like it's a very august heritage business that's been there for ages, you know, in the Scottish hills. Um, but actually, it's so agile. It adapts all the time. It uses its past as an incredible springboard for new, exciting stories. And it innovates and changes Um, And even if you go back to its history, it's always been about those innovators. People have been frustrated that the thing they really wanted didn't exist. So they got on and they made it and they made breakthroughs and they kept on doing it all the time looking very, um, you know, 
very kind of heritage and gorgeous as well. Well, I think agility and resilience are key words today, Tamara, aren't they? Because in the past, luxury brands have been pretty hardy in times of crisis. People always mentioned the famous example of lipstick sales going up during the Great Depression. But how are brands showing resilience today? Yes, that's right. In a recession, we know that consumers look for ways to treat themselves, a phenomenon we call the lipstick effect. Although obviously we've had limited opportunities to see people other than over Zoom and our need for lipsticks have definitely been superseded by other treats. For example, over Christmas, we've seen sales of champagne go up for those treat moments and we've seen a growth in cocktails and sales of cocktail ingredients as people are looking for ways to create special treat moments at home. But as we look to the future, um, how we respond will definitely depend on how lockdown is impacting individual circumstances. There are many people who have been constrained financially are titling their belts, but there are parts of the population that have been financially insulated from the crisis. And we saw as lockdown was eased in Asia, the phenomenon of revenge spending in luxury goods. Big brand logos are seeing a comeback with younger audiences. And we may well hope to see uh, the roaring 20s kick off a time of hedonism once we get our freedom returned. For those who haven't been directly impacted by furlough or job losses, will have been saving up and when allowed, ready to um, spend their money. Although a full recovery of the luxury market may take a little longer until tourism returns, um, linked to the tax-free shopping comment. And from that point, you know, UK staycations will potentially uh, benefit the UK economy in 2021. What about the brands that you represent? Have, have you got any examples that you can share with us about how brands are actually adapting and thriving even? So Burberry, I guess, the one of the most famous and a very, very strong brand. And they have always been very strong in China. China has recovered more quickly than the rest of the world. But they have taken that opportunity to really innovate in that market and have a really cool social shopping experiment. So everything works within WeChat. You can um, talk to your friends about the, the store. You can kind of create a whole world of your of your own that also works when you're in store as well. So you just get really immersed in the brand and the brand rewards you for that in a beautiful, playful way. And that's a great experiment in China to see whether that can work over the rest of the world to join up the digital acceleration that we've seen, the loveliness of the physical experience. Or we take a very traditional brand, at least from the outside, like Harrods, the world's most famous corner shop. But right at the beginning, they thought, OK, we know where this is going. What do we do digitally? We've only got one store. They made a partnership with Farfetch. And Farfetch then powered the whole of a very innovative digital operation for Harrods. So Harrods could reach their customers all over the world whilst their customers were you know, locked in at home. And they also launched the world's first socially distanced department store. So <laughs> kind of an outlet, a Harrods outlet centre in, in Westfield. So when things opened back up, a whole new customer went in uh, into a new, a new kind of Harrods. And then they opened up another new beauty business. So even within a very difficult constrained environment you've got brands innovating trying new things piloting exciting things doing lots of in, in you know shopping on zoom and things like that 
What, Helen, do you think is the one attribute a modern luxury brand must have to be successful in this changing marketplace? It's absolutely fundamental to understand every single aspect of your customer. All throughout the history of luxury, you know, over 200 odd years, it's, you know, those individual relationships have really, have really made a difference. You now have an incredible digital data set to really enhance that relationship and the understanding with the customer. Uh, and you can segment them. So if you understand who people are and what makes them thrive and happy and all the rest of it, then you can really service your business and you just keep on adapting and tailoring in a nimble way. So uh, you also need that purpose. You have to have those demonstrable, sustainable credentials. And I think if you've got those three things with a heap of resilience and a whole load of agility, you're going to really, really fly. And Mark, people do crave a bit of indulgence when times are hard. Does that present luxury brands with an opportunity to bounce back, do you think? It's an interesting term of phrase to bounce back because if you are agile and able to move into diversifying or creating new access points for your consumer, then it's not so much as a bounce back as just another step forward. Um, The Grant family have been around for 130 years distilling and peppered throughout their history are lots of examples of you know world wars and prohibition and things that would have arguably seen the end of the distillery if they hadn't been creative in their thinking experimental progressive but i think the difficulty is with something such as this that we see there's been such a change in consumer behaviour throughout the majority of 2020 uh, and understandably also that it's going to impact the category no matter which way you look at it. Malt whisky all, always over index uh, indexes in the sort of treat yourself or the or the self reward and, and certainly with consumers looking for more premium experiences at home then single malt purchases They've always been there as part of that. And for gifting, of course, we can't do a massive amount of gifting at the moment, but um, one in five, I think, it is purchases of single malt in the shops is actually for someone else. So having your brand look premium in terms of its offering, its packaging, the feel of it when it's in your hands, although you know digital shopping can't quite replicate that yet, keeping the brand prestigious looking and keeping it in that luxury realm certainly appeals to shoppers. Well, talking about treats, Mark, it's that time in the programme when we all get a treat from our lovely Matthew. Uh, Matthew, you have designed this wonderful, very special Glenfiddich cocktail, and that's going to be the star of our virtual bar today. Now, we're going to be following you along from home with ingredients very kindly sent to us in advance by William Grant. Matthew, please talk us through. So we're going to make the cocktail um, that consists of 50 mils of Glenfiddich 21 rum finished whiskey. Nice apricot and raspberry flavours from that. Then we're going to add in 30 mils of the champagne milk punch, which just brings out the beautiful textures of the whiskey. Add in our ice. Give it a quick stir. How long is a quick stir, Matthew? Just diluting it a little bit. A quick stir is a perfect dilution, Mark. I thought you'd know this from your <laughs> from your time behind the bar. 
<laughs> Could you shake it, or are you just, or is it stirring it? It's the really important thing. With this drink, you can sh- you can stir, you can shake, you can. Uh, this drink was made to be so diverse. If you like it a bit sour, you can add in a bit of lemon juice, shake it, and then it'll just make it that nice sort of citrusy uh, uh, forward drink. If you like it over ice, you can enjoy it like that, or you can top up with soda for a nice summer or springtime drink. Wow! Which I think this is why this drink is very diverse. Because um, you can enjoy it several different ways. I like that. And then just straight into the glass. It smells fabulous. That aroma from the mm. champagne cordial is just wonderful through it. Yeah. Oh, it's really good. And then the spritz of the banana and saffron perfume and slange. It is lovely. Slange. It's delicious. That text is really lovely. It's very silky, isn't it? Is that the milk? Yeah, yeah. So, so that's the that's the curds reacting with the lemon juice that's in the cordial. It creates a, a, a different dimension to the drink. It adds something extra and it makes it a lot more enjoyable, in my opinion. Um, I think champagne sometimes, to me, can be a bit more astringent, but this adds a lot of texture and depth to the style of whiskey that it is and to the style of drink that it can be enjoyed as. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Matthew. Tamar, I want to ask you a little bit more general question. You've been researching the idea of the decentralization of luxury. Can you explain what it means? For centuries, the traditional value of luxury has been in its perceived exclusivity, both in price and scarcity. Location-wise, luxury retail has often been in centralised metropolitan hubs. However, recently, with non-essential workforce staying at home where possible, uh, metropolitan consumers are retreating further from day-to-day life in the city. And we're seeing this donut effect where wealth and spend and activity is happening currently in the suburbs of cities. So this, this being this decentralisation of wealth and inaccessibility to consumers through established routes has paved the way for brands to look for new ways to connect with people. So reaching consumers in their homes, um, helping them to replicate luxury experiences or brand experiences. For example, we've seen LVMH go on to gaming through Final Fantasy Avatar, um, showcasing their collections and other brands have kind of connected with people where they are. It's going to be really important to understand the role of each channel to ensure that the perception of exclusivity and scarcity is not compromised. So there's this huge benefit for luxury brands to connect with people in new ways, but it is a bit of a tightrope and a balance to make sure that the brands are still perceived as luxury, even though they're more accessible. Helen, what can brands do to lean into the kind of changes that Tamara's just talked about? The kind of massive acceleration of digital, both in e-commerce and also the using uh, new platforms to communicate the absolutely enchanting stories that every luxury brand has at its heart in new and playful ways. That's been incredibly helpful because you don't need to wait for somebody to come into your store. And of course, they haven't been able to. And, you know, the constraint is the godmother of creativity. So I think there's been beautiful uh, ways in which brands have been um, making that shop window that they've got 
arrive at the customer's house in their laptop, in their phone, in all sorts of different ways. And I think gamification we've seen from quite a lot of brands, and I think that's super interesting. So there's a playfulness about luxury that has always been there, but it's really been able to come to the fore, a bit like Matthew's been bringing those kind of rum notes to the fore with the banana uh, scent. I think you do have to balance the rarity because you want everyone to know about the beautiful luxury thing. Helen, we've talked a lot about the physical versus the digital space. Do you think there's still a need for physical retailers and outlets? And what benefits does entering a physical space give, do you think, to the consumer? Can they get that same experience online? Well, I think the simple answer to that is, of course, no, you can't. We're right here in a lab experiment now, aren't we? We've just had the most sensational cocktail. We've been given the ingredients. I've made a good fist of things by by getting a very beautiful glass and making sure it's the right temperature and, you know, and all that kind of thing. But what I really want to be doing is being in the Five Arms with Matthew, celebrating his incredible skill, watching him make it, knowing that I kind of can't really do that at home because, you know, and certainly the access to those incredible ingredients. I've been making a lot of cocktails during lockdown. I've been doing an Instagram thing um, and I feel I've been making some a good fist of it, but it isn't the same of that human pleasure. And I think... You know, luxury is about is about experience and about emotion. It's about um, creating memories. You can't create a memory on a screen. You can, you know, you can show beautiful things. You can make people's minds burst with excitement about about what they can, what they can be having. But when you're there for the moment that nobody else can have, that's when the memory is created, and that's what's special about the physical space. Whether it's in a restaurant or hotel or a shop or you know or a cultural institution I mean those things. Mark what do you think are some of the creative ways brands like Glenfiddich are reaching customers in the virtual world? One of the things that we have noted is when people obviously switched from not being able to go physically out to buy a bottle of Glenfiddich they would go online we partnered with uh, Ocado during 2020 to run a, a whiskey at home banner on their website which had a little bit more enhanced content to it than just an advert. And it really engaged the consumers and the customers to help them choose their whiskey based on flavor. So a lot of the work that we've done is to really simplify how we communicate to to customers because I'm not there to take their hand or I'm not there as they pick up the bottle in Waitrose or Tesco's or Morrison's or wherever it might be. So it's it's been a, a big shift in just clarifying and simplifying the communication, but making sure it's landing in the right place. So just prior to the shopper. Ordinarily, we would be in front of customers, you know, whiskey clubs, whether it might be something that we've put together ourselves or been requested to come into, or training the staff at the Fife Arms, which I do on, on an uh, annual basis. That having been taken away, suddenly we switched and looked at the consumers. So I did a webinar with Waitrose, we had over 200 consumers in there. And the really interesting thing was the types of questions coming in from them and and how they engaged with me and, and what their vision of whiskey was. And to them, that was a luxury, to have access to the ambassador, to get a behind-the-scenes peek, even though they weren't actually there. I do my best to try and paint a picture in their mind of the rolling hills of Scotland and what it's like walking into a warehouse. What I'm hoping to create there is a desire to follow that lead more. So I've planted the seed early. We've we've managed to communicate in whatever way we can, Instagram, YouTube, whatever it might be. But it's about, it's almost the, the dangle. You're interested, but you really want to 
come up to the distillery and, and spend some time with me there to, to uh, have a bit of fun. How do you think our perception of luxury is being transformed at the moment? We've seen expectations of all brands changing over this period. We've spoken a lot about luxury brands having to pivot to not rely solely on the ways that they've connected with consumers in the past due to the growth of online time spent online, but also e-com sales up over 100 percent, the latest data I saw. And information from these digital journeys can be utilised to understand so much more about the consumer and enables brands to connect with them in hyper-personalised and different ways than they have before. In this time of fast culture, brands are being challenged to come up with new news constantly, new products, new collections, and they're responding with diverse communication styles Luxury can break the rules of luxury sometimes and still be seen as luxury. Um, There are amazing examples of brands connecting well with younger audiences, but still reinforcing their kind of traditional view of luxury about the craftsmanship, etc. And uh, luxury can mean different things to different people all at the same time. Another example of this kind of decentralization of luxury is brands letting that kind of happen. And one other aspect that um, Helen spoke about earlier, but the important to mention is this kind of change in the values of brands in terms of expectations the importance of showing diversity and the need to behave in a sustainable way. These expectations are even higher for luxury brands and will continue to be so. Yes, I think you're absolutely right, Tamara. And Helen, I read recently a lovely interview where you talked about your grandmother, her glamorous clothes and her Chanel number five. Why do you think we sometimes have an emotional connection to luxury? Isn't luxury almost all emotion? It's a love affair. You know, you fall in with something it means something to you the thing you buy almost is just a a souvenir of a much bigger experience the the beautiful watch you buy when you make partner at your law firm you know and then every time you look at that it's a memento of that uh, success that that you had at that moment I, there's a always a kind of proustian madeline thing going on with luxury everything plays back the single malt that you first drank is you know will always be a special single malt the emotion the enchantment the love affair uh, the very very long relationship that you have with a brand that you that you love it's all that brands go around nurturing you know there's no there's no tinder in luxury it's a it's a romance that lasts a lifetime do you know helen that's a that's a wonderful point actually because if you think of for instance glenfiddich it very often is the first whiskey most people try it was the ubiquitous single malt on the market from uh, well the 12 year old came out in 2000 but going back to the point you made earlier on in the podcast you mentioned the henry's you know the high earners not yet riches those individuals would have potentially started you know where would their luxury have been at that point now they are playing with a different wallet so to speak so as a brand you have to have elasticity in your portfolio you've still got to offer that entry level but it still has to be luxurious because at one point that was luxury. If you're a blended drinker out there and perhaps you look at single malt, maybe incorrectly, as the step up, the luxury spend that maybe you normally drink blends, but Christmases, birthdays, christenings, weddings, you'll go for a single malt. So, And that would be Glenfiddich 12. It's not about the price. 
you know, it's about your luxury, your desire as an individual to have that thing that's a little bit better. If your thing is, I don't know, a cup of tea, I mean, how much more kind of British and ordinary can that be? Well, why don't, why don't you deserve the best cup of tea? And that's something that we see from Henry's right through to the ultra high net worths. So you might go to, I might cross the road to my local co-op and get a nice bag of, you know, ordinary tea bags. Or I make the special journey, as I did a few weeks ago, to Fortnum and Mason, still open, bought some fantastic loose leaf tea. It wasn't about the price. It was the experience, the emotion, the reward, the best in whatever that happened to be. Well, I think we're all emotionally connected to Matthew's cocktail. (laughs) (laughs) And Tamara, just finally, what's the new era for luxury brands? What are we going to see in the future? Well, after a time of crisis, we all want to feel it wasn't in vain. We want to build back a better world, uh, a fairer society. We will have high expectations for brands to do the right thing. So we continue to take steps forward in diversity and looking after the planet and each other. However, once we're all safe again, whenever we're allowed, we will all want to go and have some fun. And consumers have placed emphasis on experiences for a while and luxury brands with their ability to create emotional connections to enhance or even create those experiences are going to be extremely relevant. We will want to connect with others in real life to see our tribes again and luxury brands will continue to be those emotional connectors. The analogy of the roaring 20s of the 20th century, which kicked off after the First World War and Spanish flu, led to the start of cocktail culture and feels right to happen again. Luxury brands are always optimistic, aspirational and emotional, and they have license, maybe over other sectors, to bring an optimistic view of the future. Well, we'd like to end on a note of optimism, Tamara. Thank you so much. And thank you to Matthew for your wonderful cocktail, to Mark, and of course, to Helen. That's all we've got time for for this episode. It has been such an interesting discussion. And I'm also sad to say we've come to the end of this series of Trends Distilled. We hope to see you again. Thank you all for joining us. We hope you've enjoyed it. And in the meantime, until the next time, stay safe and stay well. If you'd like to find out more about the trending 2021 research we've been discussing today, you'll find the full report at williamgrant.com forward slash trending 2021. To continue this discussion and to find the recipe for the amazing cocktail we created, head over to at William Grant UK on Instagram or find us on LinkedIn. Thank you so much for listening to today's Trends Distilled.